Well, for the past three months, we have been studying spiritual warfare. How many of you know that we're in a war? Anybody know that? If you don't know that, just get saved and you'll know that. And you can't help but know that when you're a Christian. Satan and demons and evil spirits are real. They are active in our world today. And just because you don't believe in them doesn't mean anything except that you need to believe the Bible because the Bible talks about not only the Lord and the Holy Spirit and angels, but also demons and evil spirits and Satan. The spirit realm is invisible to our eyes, but it's real nonetheless. And I hope that these sermons have helped in some way to get you in tune with what's going on because the spirit realm affects the physical realm. What happens in the spirit realm has a consequence in the material realm that we can see. This morning, I'm finishing the series, and I want to put as much emphasis as I can. I want us to see a real incident in the Bible where a demon had to absolutely immediately bow to the name of Jesus. I want to say this to you. It is chapters like this, texts like this that show me that Jesus was absolutely right when he said, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I want us to look at this. Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke were on a missionary journey. And they had prayed and the Holy Spirit had led them to the city of Philippi. Paul's normal approach when he went to a city was to go to the synagogue, preach to the Jews, win some people to the Lord and start a church. And he would preach to the Gentiles after that and start the church and there would be a church left behind that had Christians and Jews, Jewish and Gentiles rather, who had become Christians. And normally there was a riot somewhere in the midst, all right? So Paul went into Philippi, tried to find the synagogue, but there weren't enough Jewish men to put together a synagogue. So they had a place of prayer. They met down by a little stream. And Paul went in and started sharing the gospel with the few Jews that were there meeting in Philippi. One of those Jews' name was Lydia. She was a very wealthy woman. She sold purple fabric, which was used by the rich people. And she got saved. She heard the gospel, and the Bible said, I love it, it says, God opened her heart, and she received Jesus Christ. You know what? If God doesn't open your heart, you can't get saved. Amen? And so the Lord saved this woman, and she said, hey, I got a big house right here in Philippi. Why don't you guys come and just make my home your headquarters? And that's exactly what happened. And the Bible says that not only did she get saved, 
her whole household got saved. Everybody in her house got saved. And so that's where we are. And it didn't take long. When Paul was at Philippi, a pagan place for spiritual activity to raise up its head. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we conclude this series on spiritual warfare, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Lord, you are the great spiritual warrior. Teach us, Lord God, to pray. Teach us to pray. Say that with me. Teach us to pray in Jesus' name. And if you agree with that, say amen. amen. Praying Christians are going to have encounters with demonic spirits. But that should only make you want to pray more. Don't go looking for demonic attacks. But I'm telling you, if you pray fervently enough and long enough, the devil will come looking for you. But don't you worry. You've got the name of Jesus Christ, which is all the authority of heaven. And you can overcome by prayer. First thing, praying Christians attract demonic activity. Praying Christians attract demonic activity. You said, I've never heard that before in my life. Well, you just did. Look at verse 16 and 17. One day as we were going to the place of what? Say it out loud. Prayer. We met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. It's when they went to the place of prayer that they also met someone who was demonized. They walked to the place of prayer and a female slave showed up. She was a slave in two ways. She was a slave to her earthly masters and she was a slave to Satan. She had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. Literally, a pneuma asthenia, a spirit of divination, a, literally a pneuma python, a Spirit of Python. Python symbolized the Greek god Apollo, according to the Greeks. Apollo was a diviner, could predict the future. And the slave owners of this woman used her to predict the future for clients. And in that day, both Greeks and Romans, they practiced divination. I want to say this to you. If Christianity ever leaves America, religion won't. People, when they can't or don't worship the Lord Jesus, will end up in some way worshiping in a satanic way. People are going to worship something. Even atheists are going to worship something. And the Romans, as pagan as they were, and so the Greeks as well, they worshiped through divination. They wanted diviners to predict the future for them. Armies would not even go to battle unless the generals checked out what was going to happen with the diviners. Kings would not even make decisions for their nations until they checked in with these 
demonic diviners. So here's this woman with a spirit of divination. She's making a fortune for her owners. She was a diviner. She was a slave. And she was making others wealthy. But when she heard Paul preach, she started following him around. Verse 17, she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God, and they've come to tell you how to be saved. What she said was true. That wasn't the problem. That's exactly true. These men are servants of the Most High God. That's true. They've come to tell you how to be saved. That's true. The problem was she was shouting this out loudly and continuously during Paul's preaching. It would be like me preaching right now and somebody get up and start shouting the 23rd Psalm. Nothing wrong with what they're saying. It's just that it's inappropriate. You don't interrupt what the Lord is saying from the preacher by saying even something that's worthwhile. I can remember I was listening to a preacher preach in Jackson one time and very famous preacher. And he was preaching, preaching, preaching about 4,000 people. We were at the Coliseum and, uh, or the, the, whatever that place is up there. I think it's the Coliseum, whatever it was. It doesn't matter. Anyway, 4,000 people, the arena, whatever it was. And all of a sudden, this woman stands up and just starts shouting out. And he said, excuse me, ma'am. The Holy Spirit is speaking through me, and he never interrupts himself. Please sit down. And she didn't sit down. She walked out. Amen. But anyway, Holy Spirit never interrupts himself. And so she was interrupting. And the Bible says she was doing it as we were going to the place of prayer. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John were on their place, on their way to pray. And they met a lame man. And he asked for alms. And Peter said, I don't have money. I've got something better than that. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And for the first time, the man stood up and he leaped and he walked and he went into the house of God, praising God, came out. Peter preached. People got saved. Then they got arrested and they were told, don't you speak anymore in the name of Jesus. And they said, Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. But we cannot, not we will not, we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And when they got back together with the Christians, you know what they did? They prayed more. They prayed more. They prayed for the guy and he got healed and they prayed more when they got back to where they were. And the Bible says when they had prayed, Acts 4.31, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. And the gospel went on. Their prayers stirred up demonic activity. Look at me. No prayer, no anointing. No anointing of the Holy Spirit, no salvation and no miracles. No anointing of the Holy Ghost. No advancement of the kingdom of God. And the only way to get the Spirit of God to anoint you or to anoint your family or to anoint a church is to spend time in fervent prayer. Prayer is where the action is. 
The devil doesn't care about prayerless preaching. The devil doesn't care if you teach a life group class and you don't pray. The devil doesn't care if you're a prayerless deacon. The devil doesn't care if you don't pray. If, if you don't pray, he doesn't care if you sing pretty. He doesn't care any of that stuff. What he's saying is this. It's only the people that are praying that the devil is going to try to stop. You start praying, you'll attract the presence of God, but you'll also attract the presence of the enemy. Spiritual activity begets spiritual activity. Say that with me. Spiritual activity begets spiritual activity. What I mean by that is this. You let God start moving in a church or moving in somebody's lives, and the devil is going to try to stop it as well. So, praying Christians attract demonic activity. Number two, praying Christians take authority over demonic spirits. Look at verse 18. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated, that's a fancy word for he was mad, that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you, in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Literally, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And instantly, it, everybody say it. That's what demons are, they're it's. It left her. The woman was interrupting Paul. These men are servants of the Most High God. They've come to call to tell you how to be saved repeatedly over and over and over, nonstop interruptions. Paul got exasperated. Diapaneo. It means he had had enough. He was done with that. He had, she had pushed him to the limit. He was fed up. Not with her but with the devil flowing through her. He didn't rebuke the woman. He rebuked the demons. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. I command you in the name of Jesus. That's how you talk to demons. I command you in the name of Jesus, come out of her. I read in my quiet time this morning out of Genesis 3, where Eve was talking and just having a conversation with the devil. Don't ever do that. Either quote scripture or say, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you, but don't have a conversation with the devil. She said to the demon, he said to the demon within her, I command you, and instantly it left. This spiritual, troublesome demon from the pits of Hades, it came out. It had come to steal, kill, and destroy, but it came out. Because when demons, come, have, when they hear someone who is a Christian use the authority of Christ's name, they have to obey. Pray, praying Christians take authority over demonic spirits. Martin Luther was a Catholic monk. He defected from the Roman Catholic Church, and on October the 30. First, just 505 days ago, just a few days ago, October the 31st, 1517, Luther nailed 95 Thesis to the Castle Church at Wittenberg, Germany, and that started the Protestant Reformation. 
And uh, he rejected the idea that you could be saved by the church. He said, the church doesn't save you. The God of the church and the Son of God, who is the Lord of the church, Jesus Christ saves you. The church can't save anybody. Roman Catholic Church can't save anybody. Being baptized can't save anybody. Being sprinkled, which is not in the Bible, can't save anybody. Having the Lord's Supper can't save anybody. No pope can save anybody. No priest can save anybody. Jesus is the only one who can save anybody. And that's what Martin Luther said. And he said, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's salvation. And he wrote these words in a famous hymn, that he wrote, a mighty fortress is our God. And though this world with devils or demons filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. For God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we shall endure. For lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. And do you know what that word is? Let's say Jesus' name together. Just say Jesus. Jesus. That's who the devil's afraid of. That's the name above all names. The name of Jesus Christ. Praying Christians can take authority through the name of Jesus over demonic spirits. Witch doctors cannot do that. People of other religions can't do that. Only Christians, and any Christian, even a Christian that's been saved one second, if they're attacked by a demonic spirit, can say, in the name of Jesus, I command you to leave. The demon's not afraid of you. The demon is afraid of Jesus in you. And the name of Jesus means the authority of Jesus. And Jesus has given you that the minute you get saved, a lot happens, but one thing you get is you get all the authority of Jesus Christ to operate in the spirit realm. The Bible says there's coming a day when every knee is going to bow, every tongue is, even the ones that don't say they don't even believe in him. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and following, for this reason also, God highly exalted Jesus, bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus Every knee will bow. Everybody say that with me. Every knee will bow. Now listen, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Satan is not in charge. Jesus is. Demons are not in charge. Jesus is. No human being is in charge. Jesus is. He has authority over the universe. He created it with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. And he has given every Christian his authority to operate in the spirit realm. Praying Christians can take authority over demonic spirits. And then thirdly, praying Christians face demonic persecution. <clears throat> Look at verse 19. Her master's hope, hopes of wealth were now shattered. But she grabbed, so she grabbed Paul and Silas and so they grabbed Paul and Silas, her owners did, and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. They didn't care about the woman's health. They only cared about the loss of their wealth. When you start caring more about your money than you do people's problems, you're in a bad state. 
their hopes of wealth were shattered. Ex Erkamai, long gone. Long gone. They were glad, they were not glad the demons were gone. They were mad that their money was gone. They didn't care about the woman. They just used her and abused her. And that's the way people do nowadays as well. So they grabbed Paul and Silas, dragged them before the authorities of the marketplace. They stirred up the whole town against them. Look at verse 20. The whole city and all it was is in an uproar, they said, because of these Jews. They shouted to the city officials, they're teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. And the city officials ordered them stripped, very humiliating, and beaten with wooden robs. Paul would talk about this later on in his epistles. They were severely beaten. Then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon, clamped their feet in the stocks. All the accusations against Paul and Silas were fake, but they served the evil purposes of the owners and of the devil. They hated, these owners did, the Jews. They were Gentiles. They hated the Jews. And they, that was, their words were words of bigotry. They said, these people are Jews. They're with the Jews. And they acted like they were loyal to Rome, but they were just wanting the money. They won over the civil leaders. They stripped Paul and Silas. They beat them, threw them into jail. And the Bible says they were not just put in jail. They were thrown into jail. Well, it suggests harsh treatment. And they were locked up. Maximum security. Praying Christians faced demonic persecution. And I want to say this to you. We don't talk about this enough. We just say, oh, come to Jesus. He'll forgive all your sins. He will. Come to Jesus. He'll give you a new life. He will. Come to Jesus. He'll walk with you and talk with you and tell you that he's your own. He will. But don't forget, come to Jesus, and many people will hate you until you die. Many people will persecute you because you love Jesus Christ. We don't talk enough about that. We don't talk enough about that. But Jesus did. He said in Matthew 10, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be shrewd as serpents, innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they'll hand you over to the courts, scourge you in their synagogues. You'll even be brought before governors, kings for my sake as a testimony to them. That's why we'll be persecuted, to tell people about Jesus who would never have heard otherwise to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, don't you worry about how or what you are to say. For it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it's not you who speaks, but it's the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Brother will betray brother to death. A father, his child. Children will rise up against their parents, cause them to be put to death. You'll be hated by all because of my name. There it is again. But it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. 
But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. If you want to have an easygoing, tranquil life, don't follow Jesus. But if you want to have a meaningful, abundant life, follow Jesus. Don't be alarmed. Students, when your friends laugh at you because you won't drink alcohol. Don't be surprised when you live for the Lord and nobody invites you to immoral parties. Don't be surprised when the world hates you because you believe marriage is one man and one woman and that's it. Don't be surprised when the world frowns upon you when you believe that gender is assigned by God at conception. Don't you be surprised when you get put down because you believe this ancient book. They'll call it fairy tale, but we call it the Word of God. Don't be surprised. This world has never loved Jesus. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner. It must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory his army he shall lead till every foe is vanquished and Christ is Lord indeed. I'd rather stand for truth and stand for God and stand with God than to stand for a lie and have to be with the devil. I'd rather be with God and get persecuted than to be with the devil and go to hell. Praying Christians face demonic persecution. Fourthly, praying Christians defeat demonic persecution. Look at verse 25. Around midnight, and this sounds like a country music song, doesn't it? <laughs> Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns. What's going on here? These guys won't stop praying. They were praying up there with that demonized woman and they cast people out and they're praying and now they're in the jail and we got them locked up, but they won't shut up. They can lock your body up, but they can't lock your spirit up. Amen? Throw me in jail, put me in whatever you want me to put, but I'm, I'm going to be down there praying and praising God. Did you know that Jesus can go to jail? Amen. Be right there with you. Praying, singing hymns to God. Other prisoners were listening and God was listening too. We'll find out. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake. The prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. They prayed just like they prayed at the beginning, just like they went to the place of prayer. Now the prison was a place of prayer. Any place is a place of prayer when Jesus is your Lord and Savior. And out of nowhere, a massive earthquake is miraculous and all the chains fell off. Paul and Silas prayed. They worshiped God. God set them free. I'm named after an early deacon named Stephen. 
He died a martyr for Christ. He was stoned to death in Jerusalem by the Jews. But before he died, he had a moment of quoting two words that Jesus had quoted on the cross. Jesus had quoted them exactly backwards. Jesus had quoted the last thing that Stephen said. Jesus had quoted it first. And the first thing that Stephen prayed, Jesus quoted it last. But it doesn't matter if it's last or first. He quoted Jesus when he died. And he said, they went on stoning Stephen, and as he called on the Lord, he was praying when he died. Would that be a great, great way to go out? He called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And I love the way Luke put this. Having said this, Stephen, say it with me, fell asleep. Wouldn't you like to fall asleep? That kind of sleep. Praying to God. Amen. Amen. How are you going to defeat demonic spirits? Constant, consistent, fervent prayer. I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. But I believe unless we have a major revival, Christians in America could easily face severe persecution in the days to come. But don't let that cause you fear. Our God is still real. He still loves us. He is still mighty to save. And if we will pray, God will defeat demonic persecution. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Number five, praying Christians win lost people to Christ. Look at verse 27. Oh, I love this. The jailer who had locked up Paul and Silas was lost. He was probably a retired Roman soldier. He was crusty. He was big and strong, but he saw those jail doors open, and he said, I'm in trouble. He was about to commit suicide because anybody that allowed prisoners to leave would be killed and crucified by the Romans. The jailer woke up. To see the prison doors wide open, he assumed the prisoners had escaped. He drew his sword about to kill himself. And Paul shouted, hey, stop that. Don't kill yourself. We're all here. Amen. You know, the only guy that heard news as good as that was Abraham's son Isaac on that mountain. Amen? Uh, don't kill him. There's a lamb over there. He was singing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And this jailer was too. The jailer called for the lights, ran to the dungeon, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and said, Sirs, I don't know what you got, but I want it. What must I do to be saved? 
They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. They shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household, even at the hour of the night. The jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then they, he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. I don't understand people saying, well, we're going to let you get saved, but we're going to make sure it's real and we're going to baptize you six weeks later or eight weeks later. That's not biblical, man. When people get saved, they're to be baptized immediately. Well, we think we know better. You don't know better than God. Not a place in the Bible that somebody waits six weeks to get baptized. I'm not mad about that. There are all these goofy, that's a Greek word, goofy practices. Donna's saying, keep going. Okay, here I go. All right. <laughs> Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house. He set a meal. He's, now he, he's got the gift of caring for people and generosity. He brought a meal before them. He and his entire household rejoiced because they're all believing in God. Oh, can you see the difference? He's, he's gone from being a crusty old lost jailer, and now he's full of the Holy Ghost, and he's just helping people, and he's full of joy, unspeakable, full of glory. Only God can do that. Jesus prayed on the cross. Pilate and Silas prayed when they were persecuted. God will use your sufferings for his glory as well. You follow Jesus, you're going to have tough times. But praise God, praying Christians win lost people to Christ in the middle of tough times. Well, there's one more thing. When we're over going to come overcome demonic spirits through prayer, praying Christians attract demonic activity. They take authority over demonic spirits. They face demonic persecution. They defeat demonic persecution. They win lost people to Christ, and finally, praying Christians walk in Christ-like confidence. Not arrogance, not pride, but confidence. Confidence. Look at verse 35. All the, after all the hoopla, the city leaders said, oh, okay, get those guys and get them out of jail and get them out of town. The jailer comes, and he says, uh, hey, Good news. The people that had you beaten, they want you to now just go. Just leave the city and everything's okay. Paul said, no way. No way. Paul knew that if they left like they had been right, that rightly treated, the way that if they left like they were criminals on the run, the church of Philippi would have never been able to grow. Paul said, no they have beaten us, even though we're, Jew, we're, we're Jews, but we're Romans. Look what the Bible says. The next morning, city officials sent the police to tell the jailer, let those men go. The jailer told him, the city officials have told you. They've said to you in silence, you're free to leave. Go in peace. Paul replied, they've publicly beaten us without a trial, put us in prison, and we are Roman citizens. So now they want to, us to leave secretly, certainly not. Let them come themselves to release us. Boy, I tell you, I like Paul, man. When the, police, <laughs> when the police reported this, 
the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. They'd broken the law. They could have gone to jail themselves. So they came to the jail. They apologized to them. They brought them out. They begged them to leave the city. And when Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. Why'd they go there? That's where the church met. I'm sure the people were praying for them right there. There they met with the believers and encouraged them one more time. And then they left town. Hey, you look at me. You don't have to worry about your enemies. God will take care of you. You don't have to fight for yourself. God Almighty will fight on your behalf. If you'll just pray and keep on praying, and forgive those that do you wrong and just say, God, I give them to you. Apparently, they don't know that I belong to you. So, Lord, they're yours. And you watch what God does. Praying Christians walk in Christ-like confidence. I like the confidence that Paul had. Don't you? I love it when he said in 2 Timothy 1.12, for this reason, I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced or persuaded that he is able. Everybody say that with me. He is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. That day is what I'm living for. That's what Paul said. I'm living this day for that day. I'm not living for this world. I'm living for that day when I stand before Jesus. I'm not looking for to stand before men. That doesn't bother me. I'm going to stand before Jesus. I'm looking to that day. I'm looking to that day. I'm going to live this day thinking about that day. These people that say, oh, you're so heavenly minded. You're no earthly good. That's another loser statement. I want to be so heavenly minded that I'm some earthly good. Praying Christians, we can walk and we should walk, not in arrogance or cockiness, but in Christ-like confidence. My hope is built in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame but I'll wholly lean on Jesus' name. And there you have it. I feel like, I feel like the Lord, I feel like the Lord has uh, spoken this to us. I'll remind you, I was on vacation and Don and I don't go to Europe every year or anything like that, but we were over there with the people that had gone to the Oberammergau play, the whatever you call it, about Jesus' passion, passion play. And we had gone, and we stayed an extra week. And I was walking out in the field. Beautiful grapevine as far as you could see, on my right, olive trees on the left, 
big old fat doves flying. I wish I'd had my shotgun. Amen. I've got big old fat doves <laughs> flying over me. I thought, man, this is heaven. And I felt the Lord say, stop preaching in Isaiah and start preaching on spiritual warfare. I, I, I know that God wanted me to do this. For the last 13 weeks, this is where we've been. And I pray that you won't just throw this aside and say, one more Bible study. Man, it's time to get in the battle. And you battle on your knees. And when I fight, I fight on my knees, a song says. You're doing warfare every time you kneel down and pray. And when you're fighting on your knees, God does something that he doesn't do any other way. I can't explain it. I just know it's real. I know he's real. And I know that the same God that worked in Lydia's life will work in your life. If you don't know the Lord, you can be saved today. And if you are having a hard time, people are persecuting you because you're a Christian, look at me. The same God that showed up in that dungeon in Philippi will show up in your life. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's give him all the glory and all the praise. Amen.